0: Hello, welcome to episode three of the Drink at the Rink podcast. Hope everyone had a great Canada Day for those listeners north of the border. And of course, a happy Fourth of July to everyone back here in the U.S. of A. Very excited for our next guest, who is, in my humble opinion... One of, if not the very best at what he does in the game of hockey. He's the voice of the Carolina Hurricanes on Fox Sports Carolinas and their radio broadcasts. A national play-by-play man for NBC's hockey coverage. And at the core of it, one of the kindest, most down-to-earth men I've gotten to know in the broadcasting industry. He is Mr. John Forslund. Forsland began his broadcasting career in 1984 with the AHL's Springfield Indians eventually cracking the NHL ranks with the Hartford Whalers in 1995 before following the franchise when it relocated to North Carolina and he's been a voice of the Canes since their inception in both play by play and color commentary roles. His story features some twists and turns that I believe are important teaching points for any young broadcasters out there and I think regardless of your line of work you're about to gain a much greater appreciation for the craft behind Forslund's performance after hearing this conversation so without further ado let's dial up episode three of the drink at the rink podcast he is the play-by-play voice of the Carolina Hurricanes you may also know him for his play-by-play work from the NHL's coverage on NBC and NBC Sportsnet it is great to have John Forslund join us for a drink at the rink Johnny thanks so much for taking the time and being here
1: Hey Josh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good to hear your voice.
0: Yeah, great to hear your voice as well. Uh, let's let's start off with the the obligatory question. How have you been? Uh, anything uh, exciting going on in the Forsland household during this whole co- uh, quarantine and everything that's come with it?
1: Well, like everyone, we, we've really gotten to know each other. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's quite a experience when you're you know under lock like this for weeks on end, months on end. The uncertainty of the circumstance, uh, the pain a lot of people are going through emotionally, economically, and hopefully uh, keeping themselves at the best health and least amount of risk as possible. But I have three children, and and they're uh, 23, 22, and 16. And so two are home from college and and doing the best they can and working their summer uh, internships programs in my high school um, age my daughter's doing that, um, a very good job just trying to stay focused on what she has to do but by and large we've had a lot of time together to reconnect mm-hmm. in a time of the year when dad usually isn't home and isn't home a lot and so I think that's been the positive positive. and uh, as far as my own personal health thank god good uh, the beginning was touch and go I was exposed to the virus I was in the same hotel room as the Utah jazz player, Rooney Gobert, um, and I had a quarantine hard for two weeks. I figured out I don't really like myself that much because of all that time alone <laughs> and um, got over it without any symptoms, could never get tested because we were in a different world at that time, and without symptoms I couldn't even get a read on whether I had it or not. So that was a little unnerving, but it seems like years ago, and it's still just months ago. And uh, now we're hopefully getting to a point of blue sky, whether it be in our lives or the National Hockey League. And I I just hope everything can come together because uh, as a society, we really need it.
0: Here, here. Uh, first of all, great to hear that you're, you're back on the mend and everything's good uh, as far as that is concerned because uh, I was talking to you before we started recording. Uh, that, was, that was scary. I mean, just to hear that, I'm sure it was scary to experience it. But I'm glad to hear that, as you said, it feels like uh, decades ago at this point because of how long things have kind of dragged on here. But uh, definitely glad to hear you're on the mend and you're on this podcast. So you could make the argument, John, that life's never been better right now
1: no this is this is the high point for this moment there's no question Josh and I might give you the balance of the day how's that if this works out well uh you'll carry the entire day that way
0: man that that's a lot of pressure but I'll take it I I like to (laughs) I think you'll be fine (laughs) Uh, like I like the pressure I like the weight on the shoulders feeling how about this I'll just
1: concede the day now the day's conceded to you okay
0: Damn right. I like it. That's, <laughs> that sounds good. All right. So, you know, what, as I mentioned to you when we first brought you on, John, uh, we like to start this podcast out. As I mentioned, it's called A Drink at the Rink. Uh, we talk about our favorite drinks. So, I want to do a little quick change up, though, because the last couple guests I've had on, it's, it's been about, you know, uh, we've talked about some cocktails we like in the summertime, what our go to drink is on the back porch. But for you, I want to go up into the booth. Uh, maybe not right away, but as you're making your way up to the booth, the hours leading up to calling a game, uh, what's your pr- go-to pre-game beverage to get the, the vocal cords going, getting ready to rock in the booth? What do you go with?
1: I keep it pretty simple. I, I probably drink too much coffee, certainly in the morning, to shake off, you know, the, the overall complex and the travel exhaustion and all that just to get going. And then always, you know, as you know, at the, at the morning skate, a conventional game day, there's always uh, at least a cup of coffee there. So you're you're going to 4 in before you hit noontime. So what I try to do is if it's really a cold day in the middle of the winter, a cold, shivering day and, and bone-jarring as it can be, say, in the Steel City, then, uh, you know, I'm probably having another cup of coffee around 4 o'clock. But I try to avoid that because what I like to do pregame is uh, straight boiling water, straight hot water, with some lemon and some honey. Uh, I try to give myself a caffeine break. I think caffeine can restrict your vocal cords. At least I've researched that. And so that's what I go with. And I found that the throat tea works really well. Um, so it is like tea, but it's, you know, that, that brand that they have that, that coats your throat and a lot of singers use the broadcasters, and so on. And I just try to do that the best I can and drink a ton, a ton of water constantly. Um, I don't drink any pop at all. Um, and so it's water or, you know, it's the odd alcoholic beverage, but mostly water and uh, and some coffee uh, mixed in with my pre-game ritual. So in order to be the best I can to keep it, you know, deep and have the resonance and whatever fits my style, I find that's what, what works. And it's by accident, really, because early in my career, it was more coffee. And then I found that you know what? It, it kind of thins your voice down, and it makes you a little bit more uh, tinny that way. And then you can develop some throat issues; it dries out your vocal cords. So that's my recipe. That's
0: what I go with. I'll have to try that out. I've heard a lot of good things about the uh, the hot, just boiling hot water with the lemon and honey. I I am a tea guy before the game myself, but I am also like you two, three, sometimes four cups of coffee depending on where we are in the morning. Right. It's got to wear off though at some point because I feel like if I go into the booth super caffeinated in a way, it's good to start, but then you crash, and I don't, I don't want that to happen.
1: Right, and I, I you know what? A nice first of all, there's there's plenty of abuse of anything is bad, and there's plenty of good to coffee, and there's some nutritional value to it, and and I I think I also feel like I I need that four to five o'clock cup too because. It sharpens you up. Yeah, um, I think what people forget about our our jobs is that we have an awful lot that goes into our jobs all day long and certainly days before and whatnot. But we have to be at the height of our uh, focus and performance, usually around 7 o'clock at p.m. And because of that, most people don't have to be. Most people are relaxing, watching or listening to us or having dinner or going out and they're in a leisure mode at night, um, we have to be really sharp. That's our final exam. So that little dose of caffeine, when you're doing this on a repetitive nature, and, you know, last few seasons I've been lucky enough to hybrid between, you know, the Canes Fox broadcast and NBC, and, you know, I can be doing six games and eight nights, nine nights, um, repetitive situations, Try to get to as many morning skates as possible. Day of the game travel. You start looking at this metric, and, and you're going to need more than one or two cups of coffee.
0: <laughs> it's very true, and I can actually attest to the fact that you're you're doing these these swings. It's. I remember. I, I want to say it was two years ago in the playoffs when the Penguins were playing the Flyers and the Capitals. I think in the Flyers series yeah. in particular, I think we saw you. Granted, that was all through the state of Pennsylvania, but it was it was. Uh, almost every other day type of thing, I think, with you bouncing between other series. So you're a busy man, as you mentioned, usually, you know, in the last couple months leading up to where we are at right now. So I'm sure that change of pace has been a little bit weird uh, overall.
1: I did seven games in nine nights (laughs) just before the pause. And one of those nights off was the night in uh, New Jersey, just before uh, the Canes played the Devils on the 12th. The Canes came from Pittsburgh, as you recall. Yep. And um, and went to Detroit and played on Detroit on that Tuesday, which would have been the 10th. Played the Penguins on the 8th. And it was the night of the 8th that we checked in to the book Cadillac in Detroit. And that was the night I didn't know, unbeknownst to me, I was going to occupy the same room as Rudy Gobert. And then the only off night I had... There was only a handful of games in the NHL, and most of them were, were I don't want to say meaningless, but they didn't have any playoff ramifications. Yeah. The national game that night was Chicago and Beno Day. wasn't much of a game. It was a blowout for somebody. And I flipped over to ESPN just to see what was happening uh, you know, around the world of sports, and they had that game in Oak City. They had the Jazz and the, and the Thunder were coming on, and that's <laughs> when everybody was being sent home. And to be honest with you, I I'd never even, I'm not a basketball fan, I never heard the name Rudy Gobert before. I had no idea who he was. Then we found out who he was, and we saw the shenanigans Monday before, the microphones, and, you know, now he's got coronavirus, the police being paused. And the very next day, I was told on the media bus on the way home that uh, I was in the same room and directly exposed to the virus. So uh, that's the oddity of the whole thing. But, yeah, I can work a, a, a lot, especially in March leading into the playoffs um, because NBC amps up the schedule. And obviously, your team is amped up. And everything is in the drive for the playoffs,
0: so um, it's busy. That's a crazy story. Yeah, I remember a similar situation for us. We also traveled after playing the Canes in that game in Pittsburgh, going to New Jersey, uh, played the Devils on the 10th, and then we went to Columbus where we were supposed to play. If you remember, that was the game that was announced that it was going to be played without fans. um, And then obviously ended up not happening. But same situation. I was watching ESPN because that Sharks Blackhawks game was a blowout. It's funny you say that because I, I remember this so clearly, just because remember of that? yeah, just because of how weird it was, and and just happened to turn it on. We must have literally flipped the channels at almost the exact same time because I remember turning it on and just seeing guys running off the court and not really realizing, maybe you know, to my ignorance, the the uh, extreme extremity, I guess, that had become the coronavirus at that point um, and realizing right. that it was so serious. And, I, and then I was kind of like, wow, okay, I, I guess, uh, I guess we're not playing.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and I was, I was with you and I was, you know, I was totally bought into the uh, theory for lack of a better word that we were hearing from government officials and everybody else, uh, both sides of the ledger, if everybody's honest, um, you know, that this was not going to happen to us. Right. And so, you know, making jokes of the six feet of social distance. The interview is on a hockey stick. Yep. Um, I remember uh, calling our PR guy during that Hawk sharks game and saying, are you serious tomorrow? I have to do my pregame interview with uh, Rod Brindamore from six feet away holding a, um, a microphone on the end of the hockey stick. We, we're better off not even doing this thing. And he says, no, that's what we have to do. Those are the new guidelines. So. You know, that sounded at the time like something totally far-fetched, but look at the reality that happened since and how wrong everybody was and all of us were if we didn't see this coming. But who would have? I mean, this is just a once-in-a-lifetime nightmare that we're living through right now, and hopefully we're going to get the better days ahead.
0: I'm with you. Let's hope it's once in a lifetime for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One last question on on the drinks front. We went off on a tangent there, but I, I have one last uh, question for you before we move into the, the rink aspect. So y- you mentioned the coffee, the tea, the hot water, all that stuff is very important for the game. Post-game side, if I'm going to be in Raleigh, on the rare and random, and quite honestly, never before happened occasion, unless it's the playoffs, that the Penguins would spend the night in Raleigh after a game. Usually, we're right out of there. Um, I have a, a night in the city to to grab a beverage. Doesn't have to be a beer; could be anything at a particular location in the Raleigh area. Where are you going to send me? Where's the Where's the place I got to check out?
1: I'd send you to the Hibernian Pub um, in Glenwood South area in the in the uh, restaurant district which they've really built up over the last two decades here, Um, all kinds of nightclubs and restaurants and anywhere from steakhouses to, you know, uh, know, today's uh, in-style bars, rooftop bars, rooftop nightclubs and so on. But the Hibernian is an old-school tavern, British-style, rugby-soccer place, big hockey fans. Uh, Niall Hanley's the guy that owns it and owns much of the property down in that area many of the I know you would feel at home, Porky would feel at home, um, and I, that would be uh, a real good spot. And you could you can get anything there, um, but obviously a real uh, you know nice stout, nice nice pint of something would uh, would be would be great. Um, unfortunately, you know, and you mentioned tangents because I'm the king of tangents, so this could go on forever. But um, that's all right. Um, I was a huge, huge beer lover all my life. much about it i'm not in the class of mario lemieux or anybody else <laughs> who's uh, you know a, a wine connoisseur i can't tell you what's a good one from a bad one unless i taste it and um you know that's that's where i'm at and it just it hurts because i i love beer ipas uh you know I, I'm a, I was a connoisseur of that i really was i really enjoyed that um obviously not to excess but just uh, that's that's the type of place i would go And if I would join you guys, I'd either have a a glass of red and sit there and enjoy myself and understand I would feel better the next day or I'd uh, uh, grab a glass of water because I have to. That's where I'm at.
0: Fair enough. Uh, Hibernian Pub. Okay, I will uh, make a note of that. And i got to say, Borky and I have talked about this podcast. He's into this idea. He might listen to this episode. I don't want to make any guarantees. So if he hears that. Oh, I hope
1: uh... he does. I hope he does. He's a great man.
0: Yes, he is. He's an unbelievable guy. (laughs) Uh, A lot of decades for him, obviously, uh, in the game of hockey, both as a player and now obviously, of course, as a broadcaster. Uh, A lot of decades for you as a a broadcaster in the NHL. Uh, From what I've seen, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, been a part of the Hurricanes broadcast since the team came to North Carolina in 97-97. Uh, called games in Hartford in the years leading up to the Whalers moving. So as I mentioned, decades of hockey play-by-play on the microphone. But uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about a game as we move into the rink now uh, that happened only a little under five months ago. And you probably know where I'm going with this. Uh, February 22nd, 2020, you and the Hurricanes at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto and the legend of David Ayers, uh, born that night, in Toronto, Ontario. First of all, um, we'll get to airs and, and just that moment in general. But from your recollection and your career behind the microphone, had you ever called a game where an emergency goaltender was used and both goaltenders went down?
1: No, never. And 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 this is a game that I think I'll point to a lot. You know, throughout my career, God willing, I've had years to go. And you know, they're going to ask you. Highlight games, and I can point to a variety of playoff games. You know, every playoff win the Canes have ever had, no matter what the circumstance, those are highlight moments. Uh, Clenching playoff spots, those are highlight moments. Games that jerseys are retired and they have a special um, connotation to them, those are special. Uh, The Whaler nights we've had the last two seasons with the old uniforms, the green back, that was nostalgic, that was special. But I'll say a game that comes, and this is the beauty of our business, and the beauty of being a sports fan, it's the ultimate reality show. You never know what's going to happen when you go to the game. You never know what's going to happen, in our case, when you go to the rink. And this is the epitome of that, because in the morning, the night before, the afternoon of, the hours before the game, if you mentioned the name David Ayers, you'd have no idea what anybody's talking about (laughs) and then when you get to uh, Saturday night February 22nd in Toronto and the Canes hadn't been in Toronto on a Saturday night in I think nine years so hockey night in Canada across the board as you know huge thing for the players and hockey in general you're in the hockey you know the center of the universe they call themselves I could argue that but you know that's what they think up there and that's fine uh, it is the home of the Hall of Fame. It is the storied franchise. It is original six. It is everything attached to it. <clears throat> and it was a game that both teams des- both teams desperately needed. And in the Canes' case, hadn't been playing too well. Toronto's case, after the coaching change, better, and they're really looking like they were starting to find it. And then you get to the game, and the Canes get off to this great start. The only difference is, starting goalie goes out, James Reimer. The second goaltender comes in, Peter Morozik, and he gets to a plane in the second period where he comes wandering out of his net great distance. It's hit by Kyle Clifford. gets knocked out of the game. Real scary hit. And now what do you do? And we already have been told that this guy, by the name of Dave Ayers, was in the wings. And so it was already afforded us an opportunity to bring him up because of Hockey Night in Canada being there. And that's just piggybacking a little bit off of them as the next rights holder. They had some access. They had a camera uh, backstage. They had a camera in the runway there to see the guy, you know, sitting in his room. Never thinking he's coming into the game. So then he comes into the game. And now here he comes, number 90, with his Toronto Marlies equipment and his Carolina Hurricanes uniform. And now we're going to get into this. And automatically you're thinking the game is over. It's Austin Matthews and John Tavares and William Nylander, and Mitch Marner, and, and all of these guys. How is this guy going to handle this? And the Kings, obviously every team needs a two points. And then it starts. And the first two shots go in, and now it looks like, you know, the inevitable is going to happen. In the meantime, as a broadcaster, you have to pick up the story. And I've never been part of the game where I understood with each step we were taking, history was unfolding in front of our eyes. And I felt the responsibility to deliver the story, but we have no information other than his name. The league doesn't provide a list of emergency goalies um, for us to have. We have no idea who it is. If they come in the game as broadcasters, like most things, we're last to know. So we're looking and trying to get as much information as possible. My stage manager that night, um, her name is Laurie. She did a fantastic job Googling David Ayers. And so now I'm looking, you know, while my analyst, Trip Tracy, is, is doing his thing, uh, every whistle I'm looking at articles that have been written about him, and I see that he, you know, he had a, a kidney problem. I see he's 42. I see the level that he played at, which is junior B max. I see his whole story, the fact that he did back up Charlotte, the Carolina Hurricanes minor league affiliate, I think two weeks before, um, and what are the what are the chances of any of this happening? And then he starts to stop the puck, and then the Hurricanes play in front of him like they've never played all season, and it, and it really replicated a Game Seven for the Cup circumstance. And they locked it down, and there was no way the, the Maple Leafs were going to get through this. And they had a couple of flurries, and he handled them, and the crowd was into it, and and we had a story, and we had a lifetime story, and we had the epitome of what any sports fan would dream about coming off the couch basically and getting into a major league game of any sport and becoming the centerpiece, not just part of the game, the centerpiece and the hero of the game, a remarkable, remarkable night. And it has to be one of the greatest games I've ever been involved in.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask where that night ranked for you. I mean, I have to imagine it's, it's gotta be up there.
1: Oh, it's up, it's up there. And the other thing too, was making sure that you didn't butcher anything. Like, um, (laughs) we weren't even sure we were pronouncing his name correctly. Um, It makes you uneasy as a broadcaster. Like you, you're throwing stuff out there and and you, in today's world, when we make a mistake, we used to make mistakes 20 years ago and just your hardcore fans would recognize it. And very seldom would you get called on unless your bosses were upset. But today with social media, you're a target. So um, you got to make sure a lot of these things are accurate. Who wrote the story, you know, eliminating, I hate to use the phrase, I hate politics, fake news aspect, but, you know, that that type of thing, because you're putting it out there as Bible. You're putting it out there. Now, we're building a story, fan. 42-year-old guy out of nowhere drives a Zamboni who had a kidney problem many years ago, played junior B hockey, grew up in this area. Lifetime Maple Leafs fan is now playing for the Hurricane and is now the first star. <laughs> and stopped Austin Matthews, point blank. And at the end of the game, Zach Hyman point blank, or actually when the game was on the line. So um, it's just amazing. And then the last thing he did, the last moment at the horn, even though the game was done, was a save. And he kind of stamped the game with that one. And then uh, yeah, they brought him to Raleigh, and he was a hero. And he was a hero around the league. You look at the nighttime shows the, uh, that he was on and every network. Uh, and he had great personality, so he was able to handle all that. So, yeah, it's right up there as one of the greatest things I've ever been a part of.
0: I remember uh, that night I was in Washington, D.C., actually, because the Penguins were playing the Capitals the next day on NBC. And I was out to dinner with Steve Mears and Phil Bork and Dan Botas- Potash. And we uh, I don't want to speak for them, but honestly, the divisional points be damned. I was pulling for the Hurricanes when I saw what was going on there. I mean, that that had to have just been... Uh, as you said, you're telling a story more so than calling the game at that point. And I mean, I, obviously, as you know, I'm a big fan of yours, but I thought you did a great job. I thought that, that broadcast was really fun to watch back the next day and kind of uh, you know, relive it because we were following along at dinner and the TVs didn't necessarily have the game on, as unfortunately sometimes is yeah. the case in the States, uh, despite it being Hockey Night in Canada. But because it was Hockey Night in Canada, because it was that stage, uh, I feel like just the, the the notoriety that it gained on top of how incredible the story was just flat out to begin with, uh, it just went many different levels.
1: Well, and, you know, we're a team, and our producer, Jim Malley, and our director, Paul Hemming, they were fantastic, and Tripp did a wonderful job with it. Mike Meniscalco, our sideline guy, you know, everybody has a role in making that work from a broadcast standpoint which sometimes is difficult when you're the road team. But we were able to do it and, again, use the resources available, all of our looks, whatever looks we could cut into and share with Hockey Night. And also, um, I would argue that this is a reason why broadcasting should never, ever be off-site. Um, under the circumstances that are ahead of us here with the pandemic, I can understand, you know, if the league restarts, the remote angle of doing some of these radio and television broadcasts, but we have to be in the arenas because we have to feel the story, deliver the story and not shortchange our fans. And because of that, we were in a spot where that didn't happen. And, uh, and so what we were able to do here is deliver something. I'm very proud of from a TV standpoint. I think we did a remarkable job with the story and got it right and told it and delivered it the right way. And, The only negative for me was I had to stay the night in Toronto. They went home, the team, and I couldn't really share in the elation of what just happened because I had to do NBC the next night in, of all places, Anaheim. So I flew from Toronto to Anaheim to do Vegas and Anaheim the following night, and I got so caught up in my prep for those two teams and for that specific game that I kind of forgot what I was just part of. And I didn't realize it till I was asked to be on the NBC pregame show with Catherine Dappen that night. She did a, she did a hit with me on the air. And, you know, uh, I was like, wow, this is a big moment if they're having me on to kind of talk about this. Um, and then as I got home and went through the, the next few days and I realized where that all was. Yeah, it was it was very special.
0: Special, yeah, definitely the best way to describe it. And, and it's crazy that you, you had to go cross-country and, uh, I guess not even cross-country, cross-continent, uh, jumping countries there to to go where you had to to get to that game between Anaheim and Vegas right afterwards. Um, a couple more questions for you, John, and I definitely wanted to hit on that David Ayers story, but uh, and then we'll let you go. But when, when you call a game, I think anyone who's heard you broadcast uh, at least I know when I listen to your games and, and everything of that nature. You can sense the passion you have. You can sense your anticipation for the moment. I always enjoy your calls. I really like the Fox Sports broadcast you guys have in the Carolinas. But uh, I have to ask, one thing I do hear a lot from you in the Hurricanes broadcast, and it has become kind of your line, is the, the hey, hey, what do you say? Uh, is, there, is there a story beyond that line? Is there something that kind of made that become something for you to use uh, during these moments and broadcasts?
1: Yeah, that phrase is is in honor of my late father. Um, And my dad, Ralph Forslund, was um, my best friend growing up and my first ever color guy. So when I started doing games, when Bobby Orr scored that goal in 1970, (laughs) and I was watching that game and I distinctly remember where I was, and it wasn't necessarily... It was the game, obviously, but it was the cadence of Dan Kelly that Sunday afternoon that really turned me on to trying to do this as a hobby. And throughout my years, from that point on, into a tape recorder, my dad and I would watch any sport, really, but most particularly hockey during the winter. And all the Bruins games were televised on TV 38, and we'd do all the games. And I'd prep for the games, and he'd do the color. And anyway, when I finally got a chance to work in the American Hockey League in January of 1985. I was an intern at first, unpaid guy on the air, uh, did color for um, the radio broadcast at the time for the Springfield Indians, and the following season they hired me as their play-by-play voice. Um, I I received my first paycheck on January 12, 1985, and that night uh, my dad in his sleep passed away at the age of 59. So I lost my best friend when I was 22, And it was the next year that I figured, you know what, I I was really feeling down and didn't know where this career would ever end up. I figured if if he used to say, hey, hey, what do you say to people? He'd say it on the ball field when he coached us as as youth baseball players. He did a lot of that. So I figured I'd use it on a goal. And then as my career went along in the AHL, um, I started to use it more. And then I figured out I'm going to use it when I think it's a clinching goal, when I think the game is over. Obviously, when the game's over and overtime, it's over. But when I think the game's a two-goal lead for the team I'm announcing for in the bag, and really I only use it on local broadcasts because um, it shows by it, so I, um, I, I would use it. And then when the team won back-to-back Calder Cups in 90 and 91, just before I went to Hartford, uh, writers started to ask me about the phrase, it became more popular, the team was more popular, people were now listening. And, um, so I told the story and I took it with me to the NHL and I'm, I'm really happy you asked, and I have answered this question before, but I only talk about it when I'm asked because I've also heard over the years and certainly when I was a younger broadcaster, you know, what an awful thing. It's, it's kind of hokey. It's, a uh, um, you know, it's over the top, you know, who's this clown with this catchphrase. I didn't care. Um, because it was personal. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with the team. It has everything to do with my dad. And to this day, that's what I do. And so now, whenever I think the game's in the bag, that's when I use it. It's as simple
0: as that. I love it. That that's a great story. I, I obviously was not aware of that, so that's a really cool connection. It's it's so interesting too to to hear that side of a father son connection because so often I think you you know when when you talk about. Players in the league, or even people broadcasting, and they talk about their earliest memories in sports. It's, and I'm not saying that you didn't have this with your dad, also, but it's, you know, driving your son to the rink or driving your son to the ball field or wherever you're going in those moments. But to have that kind of a relationship where he was your your color guy, so to speak, with these broadcasts you were doing and to pay homage to him through that. I mean, first of all, I love the line. Um, I don't think it's gimmicky or anything like that. I, I love that kind of stuff. And uh, second of all, that's just a, a really cool nod to him. I'm sure he'd be proud.
1: Well, I know he is. And I know since he passed away, um, he's helped me. You know, I, I always said, because he was a huge sports fan. And um, the only regret I have in my entire career um, would be that he never got to see really a minute of it, okay? But I trust that he did. I trust that he went to a place where he was able to see it. Because again, I was just starting. I actually couldn't wait to show him the paycheck because it was a it was actual money <laughs> to do what we do, and it had the team logo in the corner, and it was it was it was the real deal. And I never got that chance. So that's the only regret. Because you know what? If he was you know he'd be ninety plus right now. But if he was still alive, and certainly over the last few years, you would have seen him by now. Um, he He would have flown to Pittsburgh. He would have flown to some of these places. I could have brought him to the booth. I could have done a lot of things with him, gone out for dinner the night before games. These are things I never had a chance to do. But I guess there's a reason for that. But also I feel in a way he helped me get to what I wanted to do to kind of fulfill the dream that we all share. So that's that's kind of it but I mean that's the personal attachment of that phrase
0: yeah that's special that's, that's a really cool story uh, thanks for sharing that I'd definitely learn that uh, right now as far as how that came about and, and like I said I really enjoy that part uh, when it does come up in the broadcast, of course not when the Hurricanes are playing the Penguins and I'm rewatching the games. Of but... course not, of course not. <laughs> but you know, but you the... know what?
1: I, 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 I very seldom get to use it unless it's overtime when we're playing the Pens because it's always close <laughs> and I never trust the lead. I, I've grown to never trust the lead. As long as eighty-seven and seventy-one are going, I don't trust anybody's
0: lead. <laughs> that's true. Although the last time they played, I know it was the only time, but that was the uh, the Morgan Geeky afternoon in uh, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. He was he was all over the place that day.
1: Yeah, well, you know that's the kind of storybook thing that was starting to happen to the games again, and they had won three in a row at the pause. And Williams, who had looked like the game had left him, you yeah, know, when he retired the first time. Had goals in five straight games, and this geeky guy came out of nowhere, and uh, you know this, and we had the airs thing happen here, and you know all of a sudden it, could this could this magic be happening again? You know, and uh, any team coached by Rod Brindamore, we've talked about this, you know, at morning skates and that, um, I would never count them out of anything. So um, yeah, that was, uh, and they played a, they needed those wins like they had just come off. An overtime win against the Islanders on the Saturday. Vinny Trocek finally scored his first goal of the Mm Cane. Went to Pittsburgh his hometown. Had that game against the Penguins. That was good. Got to Detroit. Never easy against them, but they beat Detroit. So they had won three in a row, and I think they were feeling pretty good about where they were at until the the gun went off, unfortunately, and we haven't played since.
0: Let me ask you this. You mentioned Rod Brindamore. Uh, As we speak right now, we're still a handful of hours away from figuring out uh, whether or not he's going to get in today, and that being the operative thing, I think he will get in. It's just a matter of whether he'll get in today to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, you have to imagine he's right on the cusp, uh, obviously Stanley Cup champion, uh, very productive player in his NHL career. I don't know if you know this about me, John, but I grew up in Philadelphia, so I uh, during, during some of Rod's— Earlier seasons uh, and some of his crazy uh, shorthanded goals against the well Pittsburgh Penguins uh, I've uh, I've had a front row seat to watch those moments when I was younger So uh, now seeing him obviously in Carolina where he's been the last couple uh, Decade plus I guess with the, the hurricanes and the the impact he's made there as both a player and a captain and now a head coach uh, And obviously an assistant coach as well I'll give you the opportunity. You probably know him better than most with the uh, interactions and the you know the relationship I'm sure you've built with him over the last handful of seasons. But uh, what's your pitch to the to the dozens that are listening right now as to why Rod Brindamore uh, should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Well,
1: it is the Hockey Hall of Fame. And because it's the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I know his coaching really doesn't come into this, it's kind of like a, a separate category. But mm-hmm. the thing about Rod is I think – I think his numbers, number one, substantiate it, okay? And I think if you look at his numbers and compare them to other players, the the least you could say about it is that it's in the neighborhood. But it's definitely there when you look at goals, assists, and points, and games played. It's all there. If you look at, you know, championship caliber athlete, he did it. He won a cup. So that would be another thing. I don't think that's a be-all, end-all. I think you can be a Hall of Famer in sports without winning a championship, although it's hard. Yeah. But you look at other athletes who've been able to reach that pinnacle, and sometimes they cannot take the entire blame for the teams they were on. But in Roddy's case, he did win it, and he did play for it a couple of other times. So when you, when you look at that aspect of it, put it all in the mix, you look at major awards that he's won, the Selkie Trophy, I mean, that trophy alone should indicate hard work, diligence, and self-commitment to your team. Um, scoring titles, MVP awards, Marsh trophies, those are all well and good. The Vesna. But a Selkie is a is an award that's that's unselfish. That you you you're giving to the for the common good. You're giving your game for the common good. Patrice Bergeron, Bob Gainey, Guy Carboneau, these players who Doug Jarvis, these names that are linked to the Selkie Trophy are selfless players, but they're also great players. And so you have to be great. You can't just be a checking center, a checking winger. You, you have to be great to be in that conversation for the Selkie, too, and he was. You take into a fact that he was an unbelievable leader, a relatable captain, a guy who treated everybody the same, a guy who's as ground as anybody I've ever come across in my career as a person, um, you know, didn't hold himself in high esteem by any stretch. And then his commitment to off-ice training, which I think was way ahead of its time. Yep. And now we've come to a place where all these kids train you know, year-round, have personal trainers and all this other stuff. Rod was his own personal trainer. And so he did all of those things, too. And then now he's been able to be uh, at a point where he took a, a, a franchise from a fledgling state to greatness and build a market and sustain it over – two decades approaching two decades. He did that too. And then you get into next level stuff, which is his coaching. And that's been a home run. So for me, he's a slam dunk hall of Famer, And that's without as, without as much bias as I have to throw into it. Cause I am biased, <laughs> but I would, I would feel as if I was, you know, an outsider on the committee that you put him up against any of these guys. He needs to be there because to me, he's more real than a lot of these guys who had fantastic careers, fantastic careers. But Brindamore's uh, touches a lot of different areas and a lot of intangible areas that hockey people will tell you are vitally important when you get to leadership and, and team nature and just an overall great human being. That's what the game is all about. That's what's supposed to be about. And the NHL is a reflection of society. So you're always going to get outliers. You're going to get bad people. You're going to have controversies. You're going to have all kinds of things that touch society. But by and large, there's tremendous people in the National Hockey League, and he's
0: one of those. Agree with you on that. That's a special league as far as the people behind the scenes, in front of the scenes are concerned, and, and Rob Brindamore certainly uh, towards the top of that. So if we're not talking about a Hall of Fame selection this year, and I think we might be, but if we're not, uh, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if it's not too far away in the not-too-distant future. Uh, before we wrap up, John, and before I let you go, appreciate you taking the time again. I want to do some quick rapid-fire Uh, With you before we wind down And I want to let you know That before I ask you these questions PNC Arena in Raleigh Is omitted from the answers You cannot play the Homer card On these answers here uh, Okay good I'm not good at that anyway Okay Okay, good good. (laughs) Alright so first of all Best building to call a game in In the NHL
1: Bell Center Montreal
0: Worst building to call a game in In the NHL
1: B and t Center South Florida
0: Yes, I wrote that down here in case you didn't mention it. (laughs) Uh, Best city to visit?
1: Um, I I really enjoy everything about Montreal, but then I would go to Vancouver.
0: Okay, I'm with you on that one also. Uh, And this is where I had to omit PNC Arena here, but uh, best media meal?
1: I never, I never had one in my career.
0: Wow. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. You're a slender guy. From the morning. Till so the game I eat post game. I don't have
1: a stitch of food from my hearty breakfast in the morning till the game's over.
0: Wow. Okay. And
1: and I have as a superstition started very early in my career, I very seldom go into press rooms the night of the game. Huh. I usually go right to the booth in an NBC circumstance we have a green room, we have a little studio, I'll be down there a little bit, but I like to be in the booth. And the other thing, too, it, link, it links to the way I prep. I'm usually done the, I'm usually done by 3 o'clock. But I don't like to do any prep unless it's something out of the ordinary um, when I get to the rink. I like to sit at the rink, take the, the quietness of an empty building, and talk to my friends like yourself, Borky, Mike Lang, from coming to Pittsburgh. I love the press box in your building. Um, I love doing games there, whether I'm lucky enough to be downstairs in the Captain Morgan's Club are from way above ice. Um, I, I really enjoy, and I really enjoy, and I'm not saying it because the you know, you're know you doing this podcast, I really enjoy Pittsburgh. I, uh, it's been one of my favorite cities because it's a real sports town, fueled by real people, with two newspapers for the most part over the years, and a lot of great media people. So it, it's, a, it's been a wonderful place.
0: Well, we enjoy uh, every time we get to see you in the building. There's no question about that. And I'll just quickly add that for what it's worth, in my mind, and I don't eat the media meal everywhere, so I, I'm not the best person. Because uh, sometimes I'll have a bigger lunch that I try to hold me over until after the game. But um, yeah. PNC Arena, that pulled pork is the best. It's uh, it's definitely something that I look forward to when we go in there. I have to I have to have some of that yeah. when we go in to play the. Games. I know they
1: all, they all rave about it, and uh, I, I've heard about it, but I, I just it's been a superstition uh, of, of mine. And again, it just gets to how everybody's different. You yeah. know, some people love to be in there and it's a camaraderie and, you know, that's where you can eat. And obviously um, you can get your nourishment. Some people need the energy. I can't, my stomach, I can't, I'm too nerved up. I cannot eat. It makes me, you know, it just makes me feel queasy. So that's why I don't do it. And I just fast until the game's over and that's not supposed to be healthy for you either. <laughs> But we've chosen, you know, from a lot of different aspects of life, Josh, we have chosen what could be a very unhealthy profession. That's what we have to deal with.
0: That's true. We'll take it, though. I'll take yep. everything that comes with it. Yep. <laughs> oh, it's the best job in the world, right? Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm with you. you there. Every single day. John, really appreciate you taking the time. I'm glad to hear things are well. And uh, hopefully... Someday in the not too distant future I know as you mentioned These broadcasts are probably going to be all remote When everything comes back But maybe next season Maybe sooner Who knows We'll get to see each other at the rink again soon I'm looking forward to that day Thanks again for joining me
1: Thank you Josh Keep up the great work And and say hi to Borky and, And everybody else there in the Steel City My pleasure
0: John forsland, some awesome stories, so good at what he does, and as I mentioned off the top, a better person to boot. Really thankful he was able to spend some time with us on here. If you don't follow John already and would like to, he is uh, available on Twitter, I guess you could call it, at John Forslund, last name F-O-R-S-L-U-N-D. And I do have a feeling if the NHL's return to play steps, I guess you could call them, continue in the order they've been going and things stay according to plan, and we do drop the puck sometime this summer, we'll all be hearing John's voice on those national broadcasts in due time very soon. We are back in a week with another episode here of the Drink at the Rink podcast. If you're not following us on social media already, we are on Twitter, at D-A-T-R-Pod, that's at datr pod. Also, you can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud, currently available on all those platforms, and that's pretty much going to do it. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Drink at the Rink podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. Cheers, everybody.